Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. Let's open with the word of prayer. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So last week, we looked at the descent of the heavenly city in Revelation, uh, the New Jerusalem. We saw it descended, it came down adorned like it's at a bride for her husband. It has been prepared for a purpose. It has been prepared for the union of God and humanity. We saw that God himself will dwell in and among his people and he will bring complete healing and joy and comfort. Tears will be wiped away for there will be no more reason to cry because all has been made new. We also learned about the temptation that Christians have had throughout history to try and build the kingdom of God themselves and how that results out of what we called over-realized eschatology, which means thinking we have available now, something that is only promised in the future, and under-realized eschatology, which is not fully appreciating what we have been given in the here and now. So with all that in mind, we're going to continue to look at the description of the heavenly city and continue to see what we can learn from it. So what we saw in, well, before we dig into the text, it's probably worth mentioning that when we read from Revelation, it's, it's, it's revelation, not revelations. And you'll hear this often, people adding an S to it. Now, you would be like, Pastor Mike, that's like a really minor quibble. Why don't you just get over it? I, I am. I'm over it. I'm over it. But we, we need to think about this just for a second. There's a lot of baggage attached with this book, particularly with the advent of rapture theology in the late 1800s. Uh, so we need to be careful. So Revelation is singular, right? It's singular. It's this word apocalypse. Now, when we think of apocalypse in our modern day and age, we think about the end of humanity. You know, we think of like a, a, the apocalypse is happening and a meteor is going to strike the earth and it's going to burn everything up and we're all, you know, we're all going to burn up and, and that's the end uh, as, is, as if it's a bad thing. But apocalypse in the New Testament sense and in the ancient world was a genre, right? Using symbols and language that was incredibly vivid, yet able to be interpreted by careful listeners, right? Apocalypse, revelation is an unveiling. It's a revealing. And the temptation in our own day and age and throughout Christian history is to import concepts into revelation. And we need to keep in mind that since it means an unveiling or revealing, we have to understand that it is the revealing of Jesus Christ. A lot of people read Revelation like it's revelations. They're looking for the, who's the beast and who's the woman on the rides on the back of the beast and uh, what's it, Revelation 18. And they're like, it's the Roman Catholic Church. No, it's not the Catholic Church. Come on. And we try to identify all of these symbols in ways that the book doesn't support because brothers and sisters ultimately the revealing that's going on here is the revealing of Jesus Christ and we see him revealed as the one who rules and reigns over all things 
as, as the slain lamb seated upon the throne of God. That is what is being revealed here is Jesus Christ and his coming ruling and reigning and subjugating all things. With that in mind, the first verse here, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So when we think about temples, we think of temples as places of worship, right? Temple worship was ubiquitous in the ancient world. Sacrifices are made in temples to various gods and goddesses. And temples were the, local, uh, the focal point, right, of religious festivals. Uh, festivals. But it, it's a lot different nowadays. We live in a day and age where church is over here on this side. And the state is over here on this side. And the two are divided, and they don't meet up. They don't come together. And it's very intentionally set up that way, especially here in our, in our, in our governing documents in the United States, right? The Constitution does that. Church and state are, are, are separate. But in the ancient world, that wasn't a thing. Church and state were one. They were one kind of one thing. You couldn't separate the one from the other because to be a good member of, of the Roman Empire meant that you were participating in the festivals to the gods that they worshipped. And the presence of the god worshipped was thought to dwell in the temple, and so people would bring offerings, right? They would bring animals. We even see this in the temple in Jerusalem. They would bring animals to be sacrificed, but they would also bring cakes to be sacrificed, right? Sacrifices weren't just about killing stuff. It was also about eating. So in Jerusalem, there is also a temple. It was built by Solomon. It was rebuilt by Nehemiah. It was fixed up by Herod and then later destroyed by the Romans and it has never been rebuilt. Now, Christianity comes along, and a few decades later, the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed, not by the Christians, but by the Romans. But the Christians, they're still worshiping in the temple until it's destroyed. We see this in the book of Acts. But they're not bringing sacrifices anymore because Christ is the final sacrifice once for all time. And then St. Paul takes us a little bit further. He even says in some of his epistles, he says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not a building made with wood or stone, but you, every single one of you, those of us who are in Christ, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The presence of God dwells in us. And we'll probably talk more about that at Pentecost. So what we see here in Revelation, with there being no temple anymore, there is no need of one because God himself, right, God himself and the Lamb, they are the temple. A set-apart place of worship is no longer necessary because God's presence dwells directly in and among his people. So there's no need of a, of a local worship space for people to gather because God himself is there and he's the temple. And one result of this direct presence is that there's no more need for the sun and the moon. Because the illumination of new creation shines through the Lamb, Jesus Christ. 
theologian named Mangina, he said this, in the age to come, the vision of God will be mediated through the risen, glorified flesh of Jesus Christ. The heavenly city is not the end of the church. It is, however, the end of the demarcation of sacred space from profane space. So just how the sacred and the secular in our own day and age have also been divided, like church and state have been divided, what that means is with the temple, there are no more spaces that are for secular world and for the spiritual world. Those things will merge once again in what they always should have been. And it says that the nations, <clears throat> the nations will walk by the light provided and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The light of Jesus Christ illuminates all creation and those who have been redeemed will walk in this light and come into the city. And we see here the fulfillment. Remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus being the ruler of the kings of the earth. I know it's been like three weeks. It's a long time. But we did that. We had the, the one sermon where that was one of the titles that we talked about Jesus, where we talked about the cosmic, the corporate, and the individual Christ. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of all of the earth. And here, what we see is a picture of all of the kings of the earth bringing their gifts to, under the headship of Jesus Christ in adoration. Then there's open gates, and it says, its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So when we think of cities in the ancient and medieval world, we imagine, obviously, right, these massive stone walls. Have you ever looked up old cities on the internet, like done a Google image search? for like old fortified cities, you get these big, massive walls designed to keep out invaders. And these big, massive walls had these big, massive gates. And these gates are very big. They're very large. They're very heavy. They're very heavy. Now, we've all seen all of those movies where somebody's like, we need to attack this, this city. And so they get their armies together, and they all march, and they all try to get to the gate with their big battering ram. But to get there, there's people like, like throwing boiling oil on them and rocks, and they're shooting arrows down at them. It costs a lot in human lives to do that. But if you can breach the gate, then you can stream into the city, and you can conquer it. You can put the... You can, you can, loot it and put it to plunder. A gate is something that's meant to be protective. But in the heavenly city that's descending, the gates are always open. They don't get closed. In the ancient world, the gates were closed at night because that's when the bad people are out, at night. That's why we need Batman. He protects us at night. Batman never shows up in the daytime. No one ever sees him in the daytime. He only beats up the criminals at night because night is the time of shadows, right? Night is the time where th sneaky things get planted, sneaky things get done. And some of you aren't going to hear anything else I say because I made that dumb Batman comment 10 seconds ago. But the gates are always open because there's no more night. There's no more night. There's no more shadows. There are no more shadows left for wicked people to gather and hide in order to plan wickedness in secret. Because evil has already been judged by this point of the book of Revelation. And so in response, the gates are open to everyone to enter and exit at any time. But those who are not in the Lamb's book of life can never enter it. 
This makes me think of the gospel reading today where Jesus said that he and the Father would make their home with those who love them. But the marker of those who love them are those who keep their words. In other words, those who lovingly obey what Jesus has taught. And then Jesus says, just in case you don't remember any of this, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to remind you of everything that I've been telling you. And this is equally true for us today, brothers and sisters. There are many of us who proclaim Jesus Christ, who claim to be Christ, who say, Christ lives in me. The Holy Spirit lives in me. But we don't obey what he's commanded us to do. We don't like to be told what to do. Listen, if you know anything about me, I do not like to be told what to do. (laughs) If you want to shut me down instantly, tell me in a very condescending tone, you need to do this right now. And I'll say, <laughs> and I'll do this, right? Or I might do this. This is, this is one of my, my tells, right? If I do this, then it means I'm really, really annoyed. So I don't like to be told what to do. I instantly, I instantly switch off. And some of you are like that too. Don't tell me what to do. But we need to be reminded <laughs> <laughs> right? That's part of my job as a minister is to continually bring to our remembrance what Christ has taught us, what Christ has demonstrated for us, what Christ has modeled for us, what the apostles and the saints of the church have taught us and modeled for us, this way of Christ-likeness. And it's hard. We don't want to do it. We don't want to love our neighbor. But Jesus said, if we follow his commandments, we love him. And if we love him, he and the Father will make their home in us. I don't, I don't want to be kind sometimes. Sometimes if I see a beggar on the street, sometimes I just want to walk by them. I don't want to give them any money. Even if they go to spend that money on alcohol, even if they go take that money and they buy substances that they shouldn't be using, right? That shouldn't stop us sometimes from giving to them in love. And it's hard for me, especially with that one sometimes, brothers and sisters, because I lived overseas for many years and beggars were everywhere. And you just sometimes don't have enough money to give to everyone, right? Now we have to be, we have to plan, like we can plan out what we can, what what we should give. But the words of Jesus should always be there. He says, he says hard things. And we're going to look through the hard sayings of Jesus a little bit later on in the summer. But he'll say hard things like, yeah, if a soldier, like, you know, he compels you to walk a mile with him, you know, walk two. And if somebody asks for your coat, give him like your undercoat as well. We don't want to do that. We don't want to follow the commands of Jesus. And we try to think of really clever ways to get out of the commands of Jesus. Some people will even say, well, all of the commands of Jesus in the Gospels, that's all Old Testament, right? Because he hasn't been crucified yet. So that's not applicable to anyone in the church now. Like I said, creative ways of getting out. That's wrong, by the way. That's not what's going on there. And that's the wrong way to look at it. But Jesus said, he said that. And when we obey him, the Father makes his home with us. And we see that fully realized here in in Revelation with the open gate and the God and the Lamb being the temple. Then we see the river and the tree. 
the river and the tree. And then the angel showed me the river of the waters of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Many years ago, I was fortunate enough to be able to travel to Italy and spend some time in Rome. And one of the beautiful landmarks that you can see in and around the city were aqueducts. And aqueducts are these massive water delivery systems that the Romans constructed that they used to bring water into the city. The Romans even had plumbing. They were clever. Water means life. We need it to survive. And here we see water flowing from a city, not in a system of aqueducts, but in the middle of the street. And the prophet Ezekiel saw in his visions a river that flowed from the temple. But what we see when we get to Revelation, we see that fulfilled that the temple is no more. So the water of life that is flowing is flowing from the throne of God himself. And it's always bringing life and ringing this river on both sides, the tree of life. And this tree is always growing fruit used to bring healing to the nations. What was forbidden to humanity in Genesis, the fruit of the tree of life is now readily available to all to eat and find healing. And finally, the curse reversed. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Magina notes that in these verses, we have a reversal of the curse pronounced in Eden, right? So think back to Genesis. Adam and Eve disobeys. They fall into sin, subjected to death. God bars them from the garden so they cannot eat the fruit of the tree of life. And God curses the ground and says, you're going to have to toil hard from now on to get produce. So anytime you try to plant or grow something outside and it doesn't work, just grumble Adam and Eve. You can't believe what you guys did. But God barred them from the garden because he did not want to eat them from the tree of life. And now we see everything has been renewed and the curse that has been pronounced in Eden has been done away with. It's been done away with. And also notice here in these passages the language of seeing the face of God. And that should make us think, brothers and sisters, of when Moses says to God, show me your glory. And what does God say? God says, if I were to show you my face, you would not be able to handle it. He says, but I will cause my back to appear before you. And Moses gets to view God from the back. And, then, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a beautiful scene. And then St. John writes also, you know, he says, no one can see God and live. But what we have here now is humanity able to see the face of God and his name on our foreheads. The glory that Moses was able to only witness a fraction of is what's promised to us, that we will see face to face, not through a glass dimly, but clearly. What the psalmist wrote will one day come true. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And remember the words of Jesus, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. 
And then finally, we have those who see God have his name on their foreheads, right? And this is in contrast to what we saw earlier in the book of Revelation, where those who follow the beast are given numbers on their forehead. And it's a symbol to identify who belongs to who. But the lamb has triumphed. And only those who have not worshipped the beast, which is the representation of the powers of this world that lead away from Christ, will be allowed before the throne. And then we get this restating again, that night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And like I said last week, this vision... It sounds too good to be true, right? And we know that that phrase, too good to be true, means that it isn't true. It sounds like it's untrue. It sounds like, for some people, smoke and mirrors, or a pipe dream, or just something that we can hold on to to help make our life meaningful now, whatever it is, right, that we can just hold on to, because once we reach the end, that's it. And this can help us, you know, in the midst of our suffering and just help us get by in this life. But if we are in Christ, brothers and sisters, this is what is promised us. This is what is promised us. This is what we are inheriting. This is what we are striving for. This is what we are praying for. This is what we are headed for. And we have to understand also all of this beautiful symbolic revelation and language and revelation will fall short, right? It falls short of the beauty and the depth and the goodness of the reality that awaits us. It's beyond all comprehension. But we get a picture of it. We get a glimpse of it. And that should fill us, brothers and sisters, with hope and with joy. Even as we remember those who have died, that we have known and loved, even those who have perished in, in war and in violence and in fighting, it gives us hope. It gives, and, and hopefully it gave them hope that if they were in Christ, that this is what's awaiting for them too. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and as all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If these sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd ask that you would take a few minutes and go to a GoFundMe we've set up fundme.com slash save Zion Stone. We are fundraising in order to give our buildings much needed repairs and anything you'd be able to donate to us would be greatly appreciated. You can also find us online zionstoneucc.com. You can also find us on Facebook zionstoneucc. Uh, if you could also go to iTunes and rate this five stars, that would help with our visibility. And you can also listen and share this podcast on Spotify as well. Once again, thanks for listening, and God bless you.